Um, so just to introduce myself, um, my name is Chris, and I am the founder and president of uh, Blockchain at Phillips Academy. Uh, we are one of the first high school blockchain clubs to be onboarded to Bath, um, which is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the development and adoption of Web3. We focus on educating our members about blockchain development. Uh, we source sponsors and speakers for our university-affiliated blockchain clubs, and we support academic blockchain researchers and host educational talk shows like this. So um, for any new listeners, um, please consider joining our rich community to help propel yourself um, in your Web3 journey. So why is blockchain <laughs> development in Africa so important? And how has this technology been used so far? Yeah, great question. Um, the blockchain ecosystem in Africa, I think is one of the, if not one of the leading in the world, I think the opportunity blo the blockchain technology has brought is um, the opportunity for a region not to be a fast follower or a late comer with the technology. Um, when you look at the innovation coming out out of different parts of the world, um, Africa, especially a number of countries in Africa, like Nigeria, has been leading a lot of innovation when it comes to uh, the crypto use case of the blockchain. Um, and it's been amazing um, being, uh, you know, uh, at a position where we can look at the different blockchain innovation happening all, all across the continent. Um, to mention a few of the use cases uh, of blockchain on the continent, we've seen um, obviously the uh, crypto exchange use case, which is really big in Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria leads uh, crypto exchange on the continent. We have a lot of crypto exchanges coming out of the continent, um, especially from Nigeria. We've also seen a lot of use cases around agriculture in Ghana. We've seen use cases around energy um, um, in South Africa and also um, financial inclusion um, in, in Rwanda, in Nigeria, in Kenya, in um, South Africa as well. And also for um, in terms of um, logistics, track and trace, we've seen some innovation from Egypt. So it's amazing to see um, that Africa is not a late comer when it comes to the blockchain innovation. I think the blockchain technology has given us that level grant to play with global players as well. And we can see that a lot of attention is on Africa lately on uh, blockchain and Web3 innovation. So um, it's been amazing. A lot of innovation coming out. Um, a lot of uh, enthusiasts coming up every day. Um, and it, this is pushing the government of different African countries also to begin to look at regulatory frameworks that works for the different ecosystems. So, um, on an average, we can see a lot of use cases coming out of like 15 use cases uh, from different parts of Africa. So, um, but it's, it's booming and, and the um, ecosystem here is, um, is doing fine. Um, and I think we can compare it to what is happening in most part of Europe as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it seems like blockchain is booming in Africa. And um, I was just wondering, what do you think, um, the, what do you think the, um, what are the, some of the characteristics do you think the continent has that makes this technology so suitable for uh, rapid development? Yeah, uh, definitely decentralization. That's one of the, you know, the, the, the characteristics of the blockchain technology that is making it, um, you know, 
um, useful for for development uh, in Africa, decentralization, and um, and I think this is not just for Africa. I think uh, globally, people are um, people want their freedom back. People want to be able to people want transparency while they are holding value. So decentralization sounds like a good promise of freedom to people. And that is why this is happening uh, in Africa, uh, especially for grassroots innovation. When you look at Nigeria, for example, a lot of uh, traditional banks in Nigeria are not really interoperable with banks from the West, which makes it very hard for a lot of Nigerians to transact a uh, huge volume of um, US dollars to their traditional bank cards. And the best way to go is to just go the crypto way, right? Um, and that is decentralization. I don't need to um, wait for any bank for me to transact in crypto and also to you know, transact with um, maybe business partners or purchase things from any part of the world. So um, I think that's the biggest component that is making uh, blockchain adoption and usage very um, you know, relevant and also for its adoption to be going up um, for innovation and especially for grassroots innovation in Africa. When you also look at um, issues around uh, credit worthiness, a lot of people due to the, the inconsistencies of their um, nationality, um, maybe due to uh, civic unrest or internal uh, displacements, um, maybe due to political issues, um, they, they do not have access to traditional um, credit system. And you, we can see a lot of solutions in Africa um, using a lot of alternative credit data to be able to um, you know, predict um, you know, credit worthiness for people. And they're able to assess um, you know, credit from the bank um, and also other traditional financial institutions due to the fact that uh, because of the blockchain uh, technology. And we can see this in um, uh, a company called Tijere um, that is using digital real estate financing in Africa. And the algorithms actually synthesize alternative data to qualify homeowners for incremental construction finance. And these are people that on a normal day would not be able to access our traditional bank loans. So it's amazing. Uh, I think decentralization is that big promise and that big promise is freedom. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I really want to touch on those initiatives that you mentioned that are, um, I guess, people are really adopting. But uh, first of all, um, I guess you mentioned this term uh, grassroots, right? Um, in your own words, can you um, say what does grassroots developments mean to you? Uh, just a brief definition of the term. Oh, yeah, um, grassroots means um, a, a geographical location, or it could also mean hypothetical location that lacks access to mainstream opportunities, um, um, you know, cosmopolitan opportunities. Uh, and what we mean by opportunities in this sense could mean uh, they do not have um, maybe road infrastructure that connect them to trade. We're talking about um, lack of access to electricity that gives them power. We're talking about maybe um, lack of access to internet that connects them to the other parts of the world. We're talking about um, trade opportunities. We're talking about, um, you know, maybe even safe drinking water. 
So we're talking about a cluster of the society that are not usually captured in mainstream conversations, and they are uh, on the lower rung of the society. So grassroots um, means the sometimes the lowest um, level of social class in the society. Uh, but one way or the other, when you look at the, the societal arrangements in Africa, almost everyone that lives in the city came from those places we call grassroots or the places we call villages or places we call, um, you know, towns. So, uh, but on the hypothetical side, grassroots could mean, uh, um, you know, granular level of, um, you know, interpretation of societal class. So grassroots could mean, um, you know, the solution, for example, if we're using a sol uh, an innovation uh, solution, for example, can my grandfather um, use that solution? That could mean grassroots. Can um, refugees use that solution? That means grassroots. Can um, um, the lower social class or people with minimum wage use the solution? That's grassroots. So it could be geographical interpretation. It could be hypothetical. But either way, it means um, you know, the, the cluster of the society we usually don't talk about or we usually don't give regard, even though they exist. That's grassroots. Great. That's very well said. So uh, I guess, can you highlight for us um, why grassroots is so important? And I guess, is it more so with, with uh, Web3, right? Um, why is this kind of development uh, crucial as of now? Yeah, I think uh, the the direction of um, global innovation, especially with the blockchain technology, uh, should focus on the people. And what I mean by the people is also the grassroots. I think the people are the um, focus. The people should be the focus of our innovation. The people should be the focus of our um, creativity. Um, we usually don't look at the grassroots because we feel there's a cluster of the society that is bougie, uh, that would use our solution. But when you look at the model of um, even companies that were not uh, originally technology companies, uh, uh, companies like Serilac, uh, companies like Cadbury, uh, when, you, when you look at their model in Africa, you will discover that there's something in the grassroots we usually don't talk about. For example, when um, Cowbell, a company that produces um, uh, canned milk, um, in Nigeria, they usually produce for a cluster of the society that can afford a big thing of milk, um, powdered milk. And uh, the price of this powdered thin, thin milk uh, goes for sometimes average, uh, averagely, uh, on an average, $20, um, $45. But it came to a point where they noticed that the people in the grassroots or the people that earn minimum wage also want to drink milk. They also want powdered milk. And what do they do? They sachetize their milk for people to be able to buy at $5, $2. And the, when you check the book of um, Cowbell um, from that year onward, it has been profit after profit because the multiplication of uh, the value of sachet of milk in the grassroots um, you know, tripled their income. That tells you that sometimes... That's what we do with the uh, with technology as well, especially a technology that is supposed to be a decentralized technology. We um, usually think of a cluster of the society that we think can pay, but sometimes we need to look beyond 
those who can readily pay and look at those that the solution will actually create a social impact on them. And then we definitely, a, a payment model will definitely come out of that. But we must bring the technology back to focus on the people, first of all, and then uh, we'll begin to see that uh, the impact of the technology that we are looking for by creating some of these um, redundant systems will begin to uh, be forward-looking. So that's grassroots for me. That is uh, people-centric innovation for me. And um, but we, we are supposed to look at the impact of the technology from the people, first of all, then we trace it back to the technology. But what, we, what do we see today? We see the opposite. We see people, first of all, um, marketing the technology before we now look for the customers and people that are going to use the, tech, uh, the technology. But that is not supposed to be the case. And when you look at um, uh, a lot of successful big companies today uh, that are technology companies, the reverse is the case for them. They start with the people. They, they start with the users of the uh, solution. And then once they're able to curate the pain points of the people, the need of the people, and the, um, the, the transformational potentials of, of that technology for the people, then they're able to trace everything back to technology. You are able to build an impactful technology when you understand the people that will use it first. That's what I mean by grassroots and people-centric innovation with the blockchain technology. Right, right. I mean, like being able to study and work with the community and actually solving the problem on a, on a local scale first and from the bottom up. Um, you know, really builds the foundation for um, impactful and valuable um, technological process uh, progress. So um, I guess in your perspective, how does one build for the issue, right? Can you kind of outline the process in which, um, you know, a grassroots projects would actually go about building um, a, applicable product with the community, right? So how do you study the, prob uh, the problem, work with the community, and how do you even identify the problem, right? Awesome. Good question. Um, a lot of um, startups are making this mistake these days, and that is the mistake of sitting in the city, for example, or sitting behind closed doors, uh, thinking the problem of the people for them, developing a solution the few people would need, and launching a product that the few people would buy. That's one of the biggest problems of entrepreneurship these days, and a lot of startups are making that mistake. The grassroots, uh, the blockchain uh, solutions that I've seen that are actually making a lot of impact in the grassroots. And does, does grassroots mean that they are not making money? No. Those that I've seen started with the people. And that market research is becoming um, a thing of the past in the entrepreneurial ecosystem now because we assume that uh, we assume what people need and we assume what the model should be. But I've seen most of the big projects that I've seen that are making impacts in the grassroots in Africa started with a long um, co-creation um, kind of research with the people that need the solution. You want to build a solution for farmers and you are seated um, you know, in the city, um, you know, designing solution behind closed doors um, with a cup of coffee. When you're actually supposed to be with the farmers that needs the solution. Uh, you might have been thinking about even figure out your model for a long time, and a two-minute conversation with a farmer can actually change the game for you forever. So market research is something that we need to go back to. 
co-creation is something we need to go back to, and uh, application of human-centered design that show that takes us through the value chain of um, you know discovery, planning, um, divergence, convergence, filtering all the um, solutions and going for the best one. It's still the best way to go in building uh, grassroots innovation. You want to build something around energy and you want the um, solution to reach the lowest rung of the society and you're building that on your computer. It doesn't work. Um, you want to build something for, um, you want to build remittances uh, for people and you are not actually speaking to people that are, you know, that are going to be using the solution. It doesn't work that way. And that's why many, we have a lot of repetitive uh, startup platforms in Africa solving the same pr uh, problem and also fighting for the same customers when there are unique customers that have not been touched at all, right? So uh, the best way to go uh, for building grassroots solution is going to the grassroots itself, not assuming what the grassroots need, not, um, you know, designing uh, what we think the grassroots need. We need to go back to human-centered design. We need to go back to market research. We need to go back to co-creation of solution. That gives us the kind of information that gives us confidence in building a solution. And it also helps us to um, know the uh, touch point where the data, and also to know the touch point of data that we need to build our solution. It also helps us to know our demography right away. We don't need to be doing market um, troubleshooting from time to time if we got it right from the beginning. And we can see a lot of use cases in Africa. We can see a lot of examples in Africa where um, uh, some solutions actually spent one year doing the research, curating data and insight for people from people that really need the solution. And by the time they launched, it was like a good mind. They're able to know what they are doing. They know the customers. They know the data they are gathering. And they know the kind of data they also need to optimize their products going forward. Right. I mean, being able to be uh, at that local level to, I guess, feel the problem and issue that you're trying to solve. Um, and tackling that way, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's so powerful and inspiring for an entrepreneur. And also, I mean, that's, I guess, the way that um, product building should be, right? Um, I guess, you know, you've mentioned a lot of examples in which this or grassroots development is already happening in um, Africa. So can you, I guess, give us some of those examples and tell some of the stories in which, you know, current projects and initiatives underway um, that you think exemplifies the, I guess, ideal grassroots development model? Yeah, good question. Um, I'll give you maybe four examples around different industries. Um, a, a very good example um, that I will first of all talk about is um, one of the startups that participated in our just concluded um, incubation program by the name of Tijere. Tijere, um, you know, is a company that is um, helping unbanked people to have real estate financing. You will agree with me that shelter is one of those things that every one of us as individuals, as humans need. With shelter, you're able to plan your life. With good shelter, you're able to um, have stability. With shelter, you're able to, um, there's just that fulfillment of living, right? But we have a cluster of people in the society that because of um, their, like I said from the beginning, their situation, we class them as unbanked. And we, they are automatically not connected to mainstream financial system. 
So Tijere is um, um, a platform that is digitizing real estate financing in Africa. Um, their algorithm, like I said, uh, it synthesizes alternative data to qualify homeowners for incremental construction. M many people want to in increase uh, their property so that they can make more money. So it helps them to increase their incre um, uh, incremental construction finance as well as, as, well as um, rent to own products. Uh, so they also serve the unbanked and the underbanked in Africa by they combine machine learning algorithms with digital credit risk assessment um, for affordable quality housing uh, for, and that are also very uh, environmentally sustainable. So what they basically do is to help either the unbanked or the underbanked to either assess more funding um, to increase their property ownership or for those who don't have at all, to be able to have credit to, to buy a house or to build, right? And they use a lot of alternative, um, you know, data to do, to, to do this on the blockchain. So um, they passed through our incubation program, and we, we are really impressed with the impact that solution is having on local people. Not just, it's not, this gives um, people a leveling playground for property ownership, not just people who have um, millions of dollars that should be controlling the property ecosystem. Everyday people should be able to have a house. Everyday people should be able to invest in real estate. So that's one of um, the projects that we are really excited for that is solving um, you know, uh, real estate issues and shelter issues for people. Um, the second one I'll talk about is um, Bitland. Bitland is a Ghanaian blockchain company. Um, and it's um, helping people with um, land ownership, um, you know, uh, records. Land ownership and land land ownership conflict is one of the one of the biggest issues we have in Africa as well. Uh, and it's in almost every country: in Ghana, in Nigeria, in Zimbabwe. It's even worse in Zimbabwe because of um, you know the history they've gone through politically. So, bit land has helped a lot of people to you know, permanently record and also register their land details and can be verified by everybody and by the government. And they've helped a lot of people um, in Ghana to, you know, settle cases that have been in court for 15 years, 16 years. Um, you know, Bitland has helped a lot of people to, to be able to have right, correct and proper claim of their, you know, family lands and their individual land properties. So, um, Bitland is a good example of solution, uh, blockchain solution, helping grassroots people as well. In terms of um, energy, uh, there's a company, a South African company uh, called Sun Exchange, and I like the model of Sun Exchange a lot. So Sun Exchange is basically an energy company, and they invest in solar um, energy. But what they do is that they allow people to invest in with bitcoin to buy solar panels that, that are now rented out to schools to government to communities and uh, at a subscription and then they get you know a reward uh, and profit for their investment but investment is in bitcoin um so you can see how we can use what we call crypto to even encourage people for investment and thereby providing clean energy for the people uh, so the, the impact is tied with the economic sense of the solution, and it's transforming the lives of the people. People are able to make economic um, investment, and we also, they're also able to provide clean energy for the people. 
and you can their model is so unique that a lot of people um who just want to invest with crypto goes on their platform to invest in crypto and it's towards energy clean energy basically um there's a company that i'm not sure if they are still existing but when they launched in 2017 um they had a very great model that is wala wala is a cape town based um you know company um and they help people local economies with remittances um <clears throat> It was founded in 2017, and their goal was to offer financial services to the millions of unbanked Africans who are unable to access um, traditional financial institutions. So um, all these companies that I've talked about, they are addressing some particular issues. And if we remember all the solutions I've talked about, they are around energy, land title conflicts, um, um, financial interoperability, uh, financial inclusion, these are peculiar, um, you know, issues facing a lot of people in Africa. And this is what these companies have been doing to solve those problems. Uh, but when you say um, is a, a fintech, for example, um, helping people create wallets, and then they are even charging more transaction fees than traditional banks, and we call them a fintech that is supposed to be solving um, some of these issues we talked about. I don't see those um, startups as um, grassroots solutions. They are startups, they are making money, they are economically viable, they, they are one way or the other, creating their own values in their own ways. But the truth is that when we pay attention to the, the, some of the most wicked problems facing our society, especially in Africa, I expect our solutions to at least pay attention to those data and build our model around solving problems for those people. You know, so these are some of the solutions um, that we are seeing from different parts of Africa, from Ghana, from Zimbabwe. Uh, Tijeri is a Zimbabwean company. Um, um, Beatsland is a Ghanaian startup, blockchain startup. Sun Exchange is a South African-based um, startup. And Wala is also a South African-based startup. Yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, it really seems like um, you know building or building on the grassroots level uh, is really critical if we want to move forward. And I guess if um, you want, I guess this technology, you if you want Web three to, um, I guess impact and bring value to the greater society as a whole, and not just a certain uh, small subset of people, right? So I guess. Um, how do we build the norm of solving problems on this local grassroots level, right? So I guess be more specific, um, you know, since we are educators and students, um, what are some ways that um, we can learn or help learn uh, to build on grassroots level? Like what are some of the skills required? What are the, some of the things you need to pay attention to? Um, yeah. Or what are some of the things or skill sets that we need in order to address the community? Money would come sustainability would come, but also impacts would have been established with the solution. So number one is people passionate about problem solving. Number two, um, we must have growth mindset. Growth mindset. We, if you are closed-minded, you may not be able to see the potentials of what you are building for the grassroots. We need to be, have um, growth mindset. We must understand that um, our realities are usually different from the realities of other people. And we cannot use one reality to build a global brand. No, 
We, we, it doesn't happen that way. Why is it that big tech, big tech companies are also looking at, uh, you know, entering new markets and they design their offering for that market based on the reality of that market? And that's the same thing with the, the Web3 space and blockchain. We must uh, have growth mindset so that we begin to see the realities of other people and we're able to build for them. Number three is that we must be curious. We must be able to ask good questions. And that's, I guess that's one of the things I, um, that clicked between me and you when we met in Austin. Um, your curiosity to learn about um, you know, opportunities that you can um, use, in, uh, use to build your problem solving or build your product for solution is very important. So those three things are really important. Problems and also want to build social impact and also people want to build social innovation. Yeah, I think that's a very, very powerful message. And I think we've gone over a very important um, topic today. And I guess to kind of wrap it up a little bit, um, you know, what would be your final message to innovators or students that are currently trying to get into Web3? if you were to distill it into a couple of sentences? Um, I would say that the sky is so big uh, that it can contain all the species of birds that want to fly. Um, we may fall into the temptation to think that the blockchain and Web3 space is flooded and um, saturated already, but I'll tell you no. We are going through a cycle of hype and I believe that at some point, the hypes will go down and we will see clearly the real projects that are impactful for, for the people. So um, I would advise that we overlook the hype that is going on. Um, a lot of hypes, a lot of pumping, a lot of uh, sweet storytelling and that are not really genuine. So I would advise that we overlook that and you know just innovate correctly uh, take great positions in the ecosystem and very soon the hypes will go down, the truth will show and we will see real uh, pr um, problem solvers uh, that are really passionate about solving problems for the people and bringing um, social and economic well-being to the people. So the, uh, the sky is so big enough for uh, all kinds of birds to fly. Don't think because the ecosystem is saturated uh, that you cannot still innovate around it. Maybe some of you have looked around and said, oh, what what can we do again with crypto exchange? There are many crypto exchanges. What can we do again with NFT marketplace? There are so many people doing it. What can we do again with tokenization? There are so many people doing it. But the truth is that the technology is just, um, you know, um, roughly 13 years old. And there's still a lot of grants to be covered, a lot of innovation that can still come out of the Web3 ecosystem. So I would advise that we look beyond the saturation and uh, the noise and begin to innovate correctly. And very soon, a featuring will happen and we are going to see clearly those who are really passionate about solving problems for the people. Well, yeah, that's a very, very important message. And I mean, hopefully your presence here today and your, um, you know, the knowledge and message that you've given us can help demystify that. Um, but I'd like to give the last few minutes to open up the floor for uh, any Q&A and questions um, of anybody in, uh, in the space right now. So um, just raise your hand and I'll give you the speaker position.
But uh, I guess just to, I guess, fill in the silence while people are uh, thinking about their questions. Um, is there, oh, sorry, give me a sec. Hi there. Hey, how's it going? Amazing. I think it was an incredible space. I deeply agree with a lot of things that you, that you just say about thinking about crypto uh, from the user perspective. I'm actually a product manager, and one of the things that happens a lot in the products that I see on crypto that they are built like really from a technical perspective, and many times they lose like that customer-centric or user-centric experience that they should be looking forward to. And I would love to know your opinion on what you think are like the best practices to reach these like value-driven uh, products on Web3. Um, if I get the question correctly, you're asking for what are the best approaches to reach, reach some of these grassroots Web3 solutions or how to build them? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for building, uh, I think um, most people that want to build solutions, they are first of all excited about the technology, right? And all of us go through that phase of technological excitement. Um, you wake up in the morning and you say, damn, I've this code that I've written will change the world. This code that I've written will is the next big thing. And then you pilot. And you notice that you have built off the wood and there's no human experience in what you have built, right? So I would reiterate that to, for building these grassroots solutions, we, if we are technical funders, so it's not impossible that some of us that want to build a solution, we are just technical uh, people. We should find people who, are, uh, who can introduce us to how to understand thick data. And this is an, an idea, a, pro, a proposition of uh, Tricia Wang, the uh, prominent um, technology et ethnographer, where she pro proposed that rather than use big data um, and quantitative and statistical solutions, um, to use statistical data to make a decision for problem solving and solution and product building, we should use Thick data. Thick data is the data that we get from people that are not usually given attention to. And she, she made this um, proposition based on her work with Nokia. She was one of the last people who did grassroots research for Nokia before Nokia went into extinction. They did not listen to her, the silent research she did in China with people around the fact that people are beginning to love iPhone. People are beginning to uh, love smartphones. And Nokia... Uh, is still late in research and development for that uh, part of the innovation. And she advised the organization and said, this is the data that the research I did is showing. But Nokia rejected um, our research, which provided a lot of people-centric and thick data that can help Nokia to innovate correctly. And a few years after, and see what happened to Nokia. So we must um, pay attention to thick data rather than uh, a lot of quantitative big data that just shows up upward trends and graphs and everything, um, we must begin to pay attention to thick data. And I think that's my advice on that. Yeah, I mean, that's, it was 
very important. I think being able to granulize and go into, I guess, more of that personal perspective is so important. Um, is there anybody else that's interested um, or wants to ask the question? Um, if not, uh, I think we've gone over a lot of um, very impactful topics today. Um, and, um, you know, I think uh, the message that we've left here today is, is great. Um, so if I guess nobody else has anything to say, um, uh, I think this is a great point to end the discussion and to um, thank Aloha Sloan again for, um, you know, speaking with us here today and uh, sharing your knowledge. It's my pleasure, Chris, and uh, thanks for everyone who showed up. Um, I believe that this kind of conversation should continue so that we begin to build sustainable solution with the blockchain technology and the general Web3 ecosystem. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you, everyone.